Would y'all mind if I do my job today? I need your permission, yes? So, so you know, what you need to realize as, as, as a pastor, as a man of God, I've been in ministry since 1981. We have a mandate from heaven that we need to fulfill. And, uh, and Paul talked about it to a young man, T- Timothy. He said, he said, reprove, rebuke, and then exhort with all long-suffering and correct teaching for the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching but will just want ear-tickling preaching. So this is not going to be ear-tickling. Can you handle that? So I just want to share some truths from Scripture that uh, our culture desperately needs to hear. And I'm so grateful on this Resurrection Sunday morning that Jesus has given us hope and faith to deal with everything we face in life. Aren't you glad about that? So, but I wanna, so I'm going to do two, two things. I'm going to start negative, but it's going to turn real positive. Can I just talk to you about where we're living and what we're living in the middle of right now? I want to spend a few minutes talking about what we're dealing with outside the walls of this building uh, as a nation. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, I was reminded of this. It says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Did you know that you let, when you let Jesus come into your life, it's the power of God working in you to help you, to challenge you and change you? Is that good news or what? And how many believe that the power of God can change a nation that has went awry? So let's talk about it. We're living in a really strange time in America right now. I was thinking about this yesterday. In fact, God changed my whole message yesterday while I was praying. It could be compared, uh, what we're dealing with today could be compared to the time of the judges in the Old Testament. Judges 17, verse 6, listen to this. It so aptly fits in those days. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Hmm. That's today, my friend. Message paraphrase of that verse says, In those days there was no king in Israel. People did whatever they felt like doing. Today's English version says it this way. There was no king in Israel at that time. Everyone did whatever he wanted. Does that sound like today in America? That's, it's, it's lawless living, and it creates a looseness that one day uh, that one day will hinder life in all kinds of ways. Reminds me of Isaiah 53, verse 6, where it talks about what Jesus did for us in bearing our sins. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We have all turned to our own way. Right now, if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. And that's, that's the mindset in America. How many hear me? We as a culture have abandoned the moral foundations that made us great. And our nation right now is crumbling in front of us. How many hear what I'm saying? Uh, when I talk about uh, national righteousness, uh, you know, around the 4th of July and stuff, I found, a, I found a quote from the second president of the United States, John Adams. He said this in a letter to another person, Statesman, my dear sir, may sp- plan and speculate for liberty. Listen to what he said, but it's religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. What did he just say? Unless there is religion, that produces a morality, we can't stay free. 
That's where we are right now, my friends. The, he goes on to say, the only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. And that's talking about a positive life with moral standards. And the, if this cannot be inspired into our people in a great measure, then they have it now. They may change rulers and forms of government, but he says they will not obtain a lasting liberty. And we're watching our liberties crumble right in front of us today. The Judeo-Christian ethic based on the Ten Commandments that made us great, that God gave to Moses on top of Mount Sinai for the children of Israel, they are the basis of morality that made us what we are today. How many hear me? And they foment the family unit together. And they give us a reason for living. And they show us how to treat others with, with respect. Working behind the scenes right now, really all over the world, is the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is behind a global government that is seeking to emerge all over the world. If you read the news and read between the lines, there are people that are resisting this all over the world. At the same time, there are those that are yielding to it. Now, Jesus said these things would happen. The New Testament uh, declares very clearly just before Jesus Christ comes back. And how many are looking forward to Jesus coming back again? Just before Jesus comes back, there would be a a terrible time where a government would emerge uh, worldwide and at the top of that eventually would be a person the Bible uh, calls the man of lawlessness, the man of sin, or in 1 John he's called the Antichrist because he's against the morality of Christianity. How many hear me? That's working in America right now. And there are forces working behind the scenes to, uh, to absolutely destroy this great nation. We stand in the way. We stand in the way of this global governance coming. And so the sooner for these people, the sooner we bite the dust, the better. But I don't think we are. I think there's a people rising up. And I think God is speaking to His people to pray and to voice what they believe. How many hear me? It's not a time to be quiet. It's not a time to crawl in the cave and, and hide and say, Oh, Jesus, please come. It's time to stand up and be bold in what you believe. How many hear me? In our public schools, there's a scheme uh, being introduced that really is set to weaken the family structure. And as goes a f- the family, so goes the nation. No nation can be stronger than the family unit that supports it. Did you hear me? So if you want to destroy a nation, destroy it from within. That is by seeking to destroy the morals of family. That's what's happening right now. We've got right now, you know this. We have boys being told they can change their personal pronouns to she or her and live like a girl. That is the wrong thing to tell a child, my friend. It's actually an abomination to God. How many hear what I'm saying? Girls are being told they can change their personal pronouns to he or him and live like a boy. And then to top it off, Transgender people are dancing and cavorting in front of our children in, in, in schools, introducing them to sexual immorality, introducing them to homosexuality, introducing them to lesbianism, introducing them to a self-centered moral compass absent of ethics and personal respect and integrity. And friends, in my view, that's child abuse. If you have a child in public school, you should be at those PTA meetings. You should be talking with the teachers. And you should be looking in the libraries of the kinds of books that are potentially read by the kids in that school. How many hear me? This is not a time to shut your mouth. This is a time to wake up. Yes or no? 
I got about 15 saying yes. How about the rest of us? All that I just said is a direct attack against Christian values. It's, again, seeking, think about, look at the bigger picture. It's seeking to divide us. It's seeking to weaken us. And during this time, the last thing we need to do is be silent. How many hear me? Moving on in our private lives, marriage has been degraded to include men marrying men and women marrying women uh, with same-sex marriage that was actually sanctioned by the, the, by the, uh, the uh, main court in our, our land, the uh, Supreme Court in 2015. And now sexual immorality is rampant in America. Most people live together before they are married. Fornication is rampant. How many hear me? And what goes right along with that when you've got sexual immorality, sexually transmitted diseases are decimating our culture. They're higher, I think, now than they ever have been, and they're growing because of the, because of the morals that we have left behind. Again, all of this is an attack against Christian values. How many hear me? And that's what made our nation great. What, what people call moral freedom, listen, will eventually become a chain to bind this nation to absolute ruin. Because the only way a nation can continue is for the family unit to be strong. And anything that affects that family, anything that affects a dad, a mother, and a father, a man and a woman united together in marriage and loving their children enough to be honest with him and passing down their moral compass to their children, anything that hinders that will break this nation apart. How many hear me? The relational framework, listen, given by Jesus is missing from our public discourse in America. Jesus introduced, he's the one that introduced the concept of loving your enemies to his disciples in Matthew chapter 5 when he, when he taught the Sermon on the Mount. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Don't just love the people that love you. Love your enemies too. Forgive those that offend you. Those are the clear teachings of the Son of God. Jesus introduced, and I learned this as a boy, He introduced the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, do to others as you would have them do to you. We've changed that today to do to others whatever, uh, uh, do to others before they do to you. Or we've changed it to what you, uh, what to, what you want to do is no, of no concern. And you do what you want to do to the disregard of others. How many hear me? Uh, often, and I've said this before, but you know, when, um, when I travel, I often wonder what a culture's like. And, and to me, and this is just me, it may, it may be true, maybe false, but I always look at the traffic. When I go to a nation to get off the plane, either rent a car or I'm in a taxi and somebody's taking me to a meeting, I'm always checking out the traffic because the traffic will tell you what the culture is like. And I can tell you in America, we're going down because the traffic's getting tough. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I think about the golden rule. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Do you want people to cut you off in traffic? Do you want people to endanger your life and the, and the lives of those driving with you by the way you drive? Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> the ethics of uh, honesty and integrity in our culture are being replaced in our business dealings, in our politics, and in our media. Lying is becoming the standard operating procedure in almost all of them. Did you hear what I just said? That's terrible. Jesus said in John 8 that, that Satan is the father of lies. That means any person, 
or entity that is lying is dominated not by God, but by the devil. And according to Scripture, anything dominated by the devil will eventually get his judgment. And his judgment is hell in the lake of fire. That's the truth. In our finances, how many know we're living on borrowed time? Our currency is in the process of being devalued worldwide. And it'll eventually bring to us hyperinflation, poverty, and with that social chaos. In the middle of all this, I'm trusting God to take care of me and my family and take care of you. How many are trusting God will see you through this really strange time? The results of all of this is a dark downward spiral that will topple this nation. If we continue on the course that we own, we're on the blessings and the prosperity that have been on this nation will turn into a curse and it will bring poverty and judgment. Don't think that things will continue as they are unless we keep doing the things that our forefathers did. How many hear me? We've been encouraged to forget the future and live in the now. Live in the moment. Don't think about the the after effects of what you're doing. Just live big. Live now. Do what you want to do. Go with what you feel. We're being separated from our history. And nobody's talking about what the future will bring. So that's a lot of negative. That's where we're living. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the, that, that's the life that we are in in America today. And in a lot of ways, I have to say we're a laughing stock at the re- uh, in the rest of the world when they look at our currency and see those words, in God we trust. I know they're thinking, what in the world is America doing? What have they forsaken? What have they gotten into? How could they be doing these kinds of things? How many hear me? Well, that's enough of the negative. Is there, is there any hope for the future? Can anything be done to stop uh, the terrible thing that is happening to us. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus is all about. That's what the good news of the gospel is about. Jesus Christ, how many know he can change a nation and he can change our future if we allow him back again? How many remember Second Chronicles seven fourteen? If my people call by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Can we take a moment since I've talked about all that and pray for this nation? Would you lift your hands up just like this and ask God with me? Father, we take a moment and pause here right in the middle of my preaching and we ask you, Father, minister life in this nation once again. Lord, we ask forgiveness and we stand in the gap as intercessors for this land. Lord, we ask forgiveness for departing from from the Judeo-Christian ethic of the Ten Commandments that made us great. Lord, we ask forgiveness for actually worshiping false gods when we give ourselves away sexually and into immorality and all kinds of of, uh, of this, these kinds of things. We ask forgiveness for it. We ask forgiveness for the lying. We ask forgiveness for the deception. We ask forgiveness for putting money and things first in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we ask, you've done it twice, we ask for a third great awakening, Lord, in this nation, in the name of Jesus. Cleanse the leadership of those, dear Father God, who are opposed to truth and righteousness. Lord, cleanse the leadership of this nation, of those who want us to join a global entity, a one world government in the name of Jesus. And Lord, let there be a rising back up 
Oh, Father God, of the Lord Jesus and His love. Let it touch every heart and every life. Let there come a change in this nation, we pray, in the name of Jesus. How many agree? So the good news is we have, we have great news as Christians for a beleaguered nation that's falling apart. I like Romans 1, 16, 17. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes uh, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The gospel is the power of God. When you allow the gospel to come into your life, how many know the power of God comes into your life? And when we stand up for what is right and we share the gospel of Jesus with people around us, how many know we're opening up a place for the power of God to come and minister life to them? Yes or no? That's what is awesome. Easter in Jesus' resurrection is about hope for a life and for a nation that's been terrorized by sin and what it brings to us personally, nationally, and worldwide. Today, I want to just simply give you four points that give us uh, hope for the future. All of them are based on the sacrifice of Jesus and what He did for us. Y'all ready for this? Number one, the entire reason that Jesus Christ came to the earth is so that he could, be die, he could die and be raised from the dead. Isn't it strange to think that the whole reason for his birth was his death? We don't think that way. We're born and, and we think, well, God's got a purpose. God's purpose for Jesus was that he died. In fact, 1 John 3, 8 says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. William's New Testament says this, says it this way, This is why the Son of God appeared, to undo the devil's work. I like that. John 10, 10, Jesus said, The thief does not come except to kill and to steal and to destroy. I am come, he said, that they might have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Y'all mind if I just quote some scripture? This is New Living Translation. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son of God also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Verse 15, Hebrews 2. Only in this way could he set free all those who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So Jesus' entire purpose in living was so he could die, and not just for himself, but so he could die in our place, which brings me to point two. Our problems began when the first man and woman disobeyed God and plunged all of us into spiritual death. I never have believed the Darwinian theory of evolution. I believe that we came from the hand of the Creator. I remember science class in school, in, the, in my middle school years, talking about evolution, and I never bought it. I never believed it. I had to write the test. I had to fill in the blanks, but I never believed that we evolved from lower creatures because I was raised in church. I believe what the Bible says. God created us in His image and in His likeness. 
In fact, Genesis chapter 2 reveals that God made us out of common soil, common clay. There's really not a lot to us. Our bodies are not all that expensive, although we're uh, intricately made. They're made from dirt. We're carbon-based creatures. But the amazing thing that God did when he scooped the dirt and molded the body of a human being in Genesis 2-7, he reached down and breathed into Adam, the first man's nostrils, the breath or spirit of life, and man became a living soul. Jesus talking to the woman, the well of Samaria in John 4, 24, he said, God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are spirit beings created in the image of God. Our conscience, an intuition, an inner knowing, that is your spirit nature speaking. We have, we have cauterized our consciences today. We have cut ourselves off from listening to the spirit that lives within us. And we're living like everybody else. We're living on the level of a dog or a cat or an animal. Because we're going after, uh, after the, the lower appetites and desires. Instead of listening to God, we're created to fellowship with the Creator. Yes or no? And that's what the Bible's very, very clear about. God gave us a command when He first created Adam and His wife Eve, Genesis 2, 16, 17. This is the problems that we, this is the origin of the problems that we face today. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree in the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. That's New King James translation. The Hebrew actually says, in dying you will die. Well, it's obvious just reading the narrative of Scripture that Adam and Eve didn't physically die that day. But the Hebrew God said, in dying you will die. No, he was talking about a bigger death than physical death. Really, in dying spiritually, you will die physically. That's what God was saying. Death in the Bible never means the cessation of life. Um, in fact, science says death is the cessation of a ceasing of communication with environment. So death in the Bible means separation. Everybody say separation. Death in the Bible never means annihilation. It means separation. So the three kinds of death that we as human beings have to deal with. The first one is spiritual death. The second one is physical death that we all will experience if Jesus' coming is delayed. And then there's one that none of us have to experience unless we choose it. And that's called the second death. And so let's talk a little bit about those three kinds of death because Jesus came so we could be set free from, these, these, from the death that has ensued with Adam and Eve, the first man and woman's disobedience to God. Again, our problems began when the first man and woman disobeyed God and were plunged into spiritual death. How many know sin is disobedience to God? James 4, 17, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it to him, it is sin. And sin created death. Three kinds, first of all, spiritual death. Spiritual death is separation from God. And we need to hear about this today in America. How many hear me? It's the cause. Listen, it is the root 
of all of our problems. Spiritual death is a nature inside of us that breeds breeds sin. It breeds rebellion. It breeds self-centeredness. It breeds putting me first and everything else last. How many hear me? And it's the reason for all of the problems we have faced through the millennia of time in human societies. Today, uh, in teaching the young, we are pushing on them this ideology of self-esteem and personal importance. And we're not being honest with our children. You know, I've got three staff members. We'll be opening up a child care preschool and eventually a Christian school with Victory Academy. Are you guys excited about that? We just about finished the building. We got to finish up the uh, the um, electricians coming this week, and then the plumbers will be done. It'll be done. We'll get our certificate of occupancy, and then we'll open up. But I got three staff members going to school just to be trained in in the uh, the process of opening childcare and how we need to deal with the children, and just reading the literature that comes from our county and comes from our institutions of learning in our county. Um, I'm looking. I'm, I'm at a loss for where it's brazen. What they're teaching about educating children is brazen and in a lot of ways it's absolutely wrong, my friends. Did you hear me? We need to teach our children we were made in the image of God and that we were made to have fellowship with Him. And children need to learn in an early age that there is something called sin that breaks our fellowship with God. Children aren't hearing that today. How many hear me? When I, I remember, I was thinking, I was preparing this yesterday. My mind went back. I'm a four-year-old boy. I was raised in a Southern Baptist church. I, was, I had to go to church three times a week. No choice as a kid, toddler. But I was sitting on like the second or third pew on the right-hand side of the church, and the organ is in front of me, and the piano's on the other side. You remember that kind of church? And every time the person started playing the organ, I started crying. And my mother would time after time say, Mitch, why are you crying? I said, well, I don't know. But every time I heard that organ music, I cried. And then my mother would take me places and she would tune the radio in our automobile to a, a, a station where they're playing Christian music. And, and often I would hear an organ before or they were preaching or whatever. And I would hear an organ even in the car and I'd start crying. And she said, Mitch, why are you crying? See, my, my, little, my little heart was tender towards God. Did you know children's hearts are tender towards God? We need to realize that. And they need to be taught that they, they, are, they live in a fallen race. And it's sin that separates us from God. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as though one man sinned, through one man, sin entered the world and death through sin. Who's that one man? That one man is Adam. Because Adam and Eve sinned. Uh, they are the head of the human race and all of us come from Adam and Eve. And it says, and thus death, spiritual death spread to all men because all have sinned. We're born as sinners. Psalm 51.5, David, when he was caught committing adultery with Bathsheba after she had had the baby and the, the prophet pointed his bony finger in David's face. David said in his prayer of repentance, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. 
And what he was saying there is from the moment of conception, I am a fallen creature. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3. He clearly delineates the problems we have as a human race. We don't have a spark of life that just needs to be blown into a big flame by education. We are sinners and will become more depraved and selfish if nothing happens to change that. How many hear me? Romans chapter 3 verse 10 as the scripture says no one is righteous not even one no one is truly wise no one is seeking God all have turned away all have become useless no one does good not a single one their talk is foul like the stench from an open grave their tongues are filled with lies snake venom drips from their lips that's pretty bad Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace. They have no fear of God at all. Obviously, the law applies, the Apostle Paul says, to those to whom it was given. For its purpose is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. That's the state of the human race today. The reasons we're having problems in America today with our morality, with lying, with cheating, with murder. It's a terrible, terrible blight on our culture right now. It's because we're sinners in need of a Savior. Where are the churches that are talking about sin? Where are the churches that are talking about hell? Where are the churches that are talking about our need for a Savior? Are we doing it? Are we doing our job? It's really quiet. Are are, are we doing that? You have to ask yourself the question. If we're not, not, why are we not doing that? Is a crowd more important than the will of God? Huh? Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. Everybody say, everyone has sinned. How about say this, if you know it's true, I have sinned. sinned. See, that, that everyone includes me. Everyone has sinned. We fall short of God's glorious standard. You know, the Ten Commandments were given to Moses on top of Mount Sinai in Exodus, in the book of Exodus. And, and God took him to the uh, top of a mountain and appeared to him uh, 40 days and 40 nights. And Moses had a, a long fast. And God revealed to him some laws or rules that would keep a fallen race of people at least able to, to fairly deal with each other. And, you know, the, the Ten Commandments were made, weren't made for people that know God. They're made for people that don't know God. And that's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1. But those Ten Commandments, when I was a little boy, I remember in my algebra class, in my geometry class, in my algebra two class we had I was sitting right in the middle of the class and just where I was sitting there were two windows on the side and every time I went to look out the window guess what was staring at me 10 commandments the teacher had put 10 commandments on the walls of our classroom in the early 1970s now I was smoking pot living in sin and going to church every weekend do you know a lot of people sin and still go to church you know, a lot of people do what they know is wrong, but, you know, they want, to, they want to sate their conscience by going to church and nodding to God at least once a week. That is not going to get you in heaven, my friend. 
And I would look at those Ten Commandments and then think about my life. And I'd try to look back out the window, but I'm, these, these commandments are blaring at me. There are ten of them. Most people don't know them. We've taken them off of our buildings in America of recent because we don't want to be reminded of who we are. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it as long as we want to do it. And it's causing us problems. Listen quickly, there are ten commands from God that will keep a fallen race at least amiable and able to, to, to have some kind of discourse with each other without tearing each other apart. Do not have any other gods before me, God said. Number one. Number two, don't create graven images. We don't have any kind of images. We should not have images to, to our God or any other God, yes or no? Because the potential is you worship that image and history's rife with that. Number three, don't use God's name in vain. I hear that all the time, do you? Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God rested on the seventh day from all of his works and he's worked into our human bodies the need to sleep at least a third of our life. And then he said, once a week, take a break. If you don't, you start falling apart. And that's why many people start falling apart earlier than they should. Yes or no? Number five, honor your father and your mother. That's, that's talking about respecting the family unit. Number six, don't steal. Number seven, don't kill. Number eight, don't commit adultery. Number nine, don't lie. Number 10, don't covet what belongs to someone else. And the Bible says Jesus' uh, uh, very practical half-brother James, or Jacob it was his, actually his name, he said uh, in his epistle to the church in James 2.10, the person who keeps all of the law, all of these Ten Commands, except one, is as guilty as the person who has broken all of them. So maybe, maybe you honor your mother and father, but if you've ever lied, or, or if you've ever held offense or unforgiveness, Jesus said, uh, in fact, the Scriptures are clear, if you hold unforgiveness towards someone, you're the same as a murderer. He also, he also uh, said, uh, you say, well, I've never committed adultery. Jesus said, if you've looked at a woman to lust after, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Wow. So if you commit one of them, Jesus said, or the Bible says, James said, you commit uh, offense against all of the commands of God. And that's all of us. How many know all of us are guilty before God? So I, I want to, I'm just pa pausing a moment. That's the problems in America today. We need to know that we're sinners in need of a Savior. You say, well, this is mighty negative. No, no, no. If you know that you're a sinner, it gives you hope that you can be different. Because I'm going to show it to you in a minute. Without understanding this, then, then life is a great big quagmire. And it's a big puzzle. And things simply don't make sense. When I came to Jesus as an almost 18-year-old uh, the puzzles of life begin to fit together. The pieces of the puzzle fit together. When I under, begin finally to understand that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. James 17 verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? That person sitting across from you smiling, they could be planning your demise. Now that's reality. Jesus said this, and this, see, this, this deals with us today and all of the things I talked about that are problems in America today. Jesus told us where they come from. Matthew 15, 19. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, 
lying, slander. Jesus just cut to the chase. And that's the problems we have in America today. The problem in America today is spiritual death. And the only antidote is the new birth that comes when you make Jesus your Savior from sin. And we'll talk about that. How many hear me? Spiritual death is the parent of the next death called physical death. All of us understand physical death. It's the separation of the spirit and soul, the inner person from the outward shell that we live in that give us life on this planet. Our bodies are literally our earth suit. Without this suit, you can't live here. You go somewhere else. Ezekiel 18, 20, as well as Ezekiel 18, verse 4 says, The soul who sins will die. Why do we die? Did you know God did not create us to die? God created us to live eternally in physical bodies. And, you know, I've been in the rooms of people as pastor and as a person on staff at other churches that per persons that are really, really close to death. And, you know, I've watched a person resist, you know, taking the last breath. And, and it's a terrible thing to watch, really. But the other part of it is when they know Jesus. I've, I've often had family members, and I have a few times myself said, you know what, you just lay back. You breathe your last breath. You let your heart beat its last beat. You're going into the presence of Jesus. And I bless all my heart, I never saw him, but I'm just sure the angels of God were right there to receive them into eternity. Physical death, a sting is taken out of physical death because of what Jesus did in his death, burial, and resurrection. How many hear what I'm saying? You don't have to be afraid to die. We recoil against it because God created us to live for eternity in these human bodies. And that's what the rapture of the church is all about. The Bible teaches when Jesus comes back. Our bodies will be transformed if we're alive when he comes back. But if you die before Jesus comes back or you have loved ones that have died and they knew Jesus as Savior when Jesus comes back. I've taught this at many a graveside. When Jesus comes back, something's going to happen to that grave. The grave robber is coming. And that body will instantly be raised from the dead like Jesus' body was raised from the dead. And their spirit will come from heaven. Their body will come from earth. Meet probably in midair. And then we'll go up to heaven to be with Jesus for eternity. Isn't that good news? The last death the Bible talks about is the second death. Everybody say the second death. Second death is eternal separation from God. Hebrews 9.27 says this, As it is appointed once to die, but after this, judgment. Revelation 20, verse uh, 12 through 15, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Now, these people were dead, but they're standing before God. They, their spirits had left their bodies, but they're still existing. They're standing before God. The books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. See, most people live by works. And I mentioned this maybe even last Sunday. Most people live thinking if I'm a, a basically a good person and do basically more good things than bad things, I'm going to heaven. But friends, that is a life of works. There's not enough good works that I can do that will allow me to enter the pristine place called heaven. There's nothing that I can do. None of my works stack up. But because most people think that's true, God will give them a chance to prove the fallacy of what they're believing. So they stand before God, it says, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Everybody say the book of life. 
And the dead were judged according to their works. Why? Because they were trusting in their works uh, to, to, to be able to not go to hell but go to heaven. And they were judged by the things which were written in the books. That is in the book of works. Did you know there's a book uh, perhaps with your name on it called the book of works that lists everything that you've done in your life. Good, bad, ugly, or indifferent. How many hear me? It's called the book of works. The good news is when you make Jesus Lord, I'll guess an angel comes and goes to your book and erases all the bad stuff. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away. All things become new. And then even after, as a believer, if your flesh trips you up and you get around the wrong crowd and you do what you didn't, shouldn't do, say what you shouldn't say, act like you shouldn't act, and you sin. We have a lawyer with the Father that's never lost a case. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So when you come to Jesus, there may be a book of works with your name in it in heaven, but when that book is opened, up all of the bad is erased all of the bad before you knew Jesus and then after you knew Jesus you confess your sin it's all marked out (laughs) there's nothing to condemn you then it says the sea gave up the dead who were in it death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them and they were judged each one according to his works again because they were trusting their works There's no Christians here. This is all people that left this life without Christ. Then death and Hades, this is very sobering. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is is an event that is yet to happen. Hell is like a holding tank. Hell is like the county jail of eternity. And then there's a trial. And then there's a sentence, and that's the great white throne judgment that we just re- uh, we're reading about. Then, th- then the, the eternal sentencing happens, and here's the, if the this is the eventual end of those that die without Christ in their life. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. It's quiet in here because you're thinking about you, and you know what I'm thinking about me. I don't want to go there. It says, anyone not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. There's 8 billion people on the planet right now, and a lot of people have lived prior to us. God keeps good records. He's got a lot of angels that help him. I don't want anybody in this room to have to stand at, at this place we're talking about right here. And be judged by your works because you refuse to accept what Jesus did for you. Did you hear me? Once you go to this place called the lake of fire, there's no coming back. Eternity is a long time. 70, 80 years here. (laughs) It's a drop in the bucket, really. Not even a drop, hardly. It's the light of eternity. Number three. Here's the good news. Y'all ready for some really good news? Jesus Christ was judged in our place so we could be forgiven of sin and have fellowship with God once again. The whole reason we're having trouble and struggles is because of death, spiritual death. Spiritual death is a problem for every one of us and it causes us to be self-focused. If you're a self-focused person, if you think more about you than you think about Jesus and others, you're a self-focused person. 
If you think about yourself at the expense of how what you say or what you do affects others, you are a self-focused person. How many hear me? Wow, that's strong, but it's true. And see, that self-focus comes from spiritual death. You can be a believer, be born again, but your mind's not yet renewed, and the focus of life has not been uh, turned from you to Jesus and others. God wants us to take ourselves out of the center of the equation of life and put Jesus there. Jesus was judged in our place. That is the heart of the gospel, and that's the reason we celebrate Easter, celebrate Resurrection Sunday. Matthew 27, 45, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. About 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, this is a little uh, uh, difficult to understand that our God is a triune being. Everybody say the Trinity. There is God the Father who is seated in heaven. You can read about him in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. He sits on a great big chair called a throne with angels around him crying, holy, holy, holy all the time. And he's always there. And then, then God has, has, there's another being called God who is the Son. Everybody say the Son. Jesus is as much God as God the Father is God. See, it's a challenging concept. But there's the Father and then there's the Son and then there is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ever-presence of God. How many hear me? That means God can be everywhere at all times. Psalm 139, uh, David said, If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there. If I dwell in the uttermost parts of the ocean, behold, you are there. The idea is there's nowhere you can go to escape the presence of God. He is everywhere at all times. You try to hide yourself under the covers, he's under the covers. You try to hide yourself in the closet, he's in the closet. You try to hide yourself somewhere, he's right where you're trying to hide. You can't escape from God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, God, Jesus was literally cut off from fellowship with God, his heavenly Father. If you know anything, and most of us know the word of God, some better than even me, the Bible's very clear that Jesus pre-existed that baby in the manger that was born, that we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus has been from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus has been in heaven. In fact, Jesus was the person that created all things by the breath of his mouth and upholds all things by the power of his word. Colossians 1, 15 says, how many hear me? Jesus is the Son of God. But this scripture is very clear that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God turned his back somehow on his own Son and the Holy Spirit left him alone. Don't forget, when Jesus became a man, he left all of the powers of the office that he existed in for eternity. That is, being the second member of the Godhead, the second member of the Trinity. He left all that. He left that. He laid it aside. And Jesus lived as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he started his ministry at age 30, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Jesus didn't do what he did because he was the Son of God. Jesus did what he did because he was a man anointed by the Holy Ghost. But right here, Jesus the man who was also God was separated from God his Father. It's a difficult concept. It's really hard to grasp what happened to Jesus. God turned his back on him. And the scriptures are clear that when God turned his back on him, Jesus actually literally became our sin. Listen, Jesus became our separation from God. Jesus died spiritually. That doesn't, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that Jesus ceased to exist. No, it just means he was cut off from fellowship with his Father. And he assumed your sin and my sin. How many hear me? See, don't forget, Jesus had no earthly father. Mary, remember the angel appeared to Mary. Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1. And basically said, Mary, I know you're 16 years old. I know you're a virgin. I know you've never had sex with your boyfriend you're about to marry. We're going to have an angel appear to him and tell him all is well. But Mary, bottom line is, you found favor with God. And, and the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And you're going to get pregnant. And you're going to bear God's son. You will have never had sex with a man. You'll still be a virgin. But the virgin will bear a son. And God will become incarnate into human flesh. And his name will be called Jesus. Is that awesome or what? And that's the Jesus who was hanging on the cross and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First Peter 2.22 He never sinned, nor uh, ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He Listen, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you were healed. Once you were like sheep, having wandered away, but now you have, now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Isaiah, uh, 2,500 years ago, said it this way in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, and then verses 9 and 11. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Perhaps you have, uh, have seen the uh, passion of the Christ. But perhaps you have thought about being beaten with a Roman cat of nine tails that was tipped with lead and glass and uh, with, uh, with, um, with a bunch of tips, a leather whip. And every time it hit the flesh and was snatched back, it literally pulled the flesh off of Jesus' body, exposing, uh, uh, removing the dermis and exposing the epidermis and then the muscles and then perhaps even his internal organs. It was a horrible thing. In fact, uh, uh, Isaiah said that after his beating, he didn't even look like a man. Now, now that's horrible to even contemplate. It was barbaric, Roman cru crucifixion. And a Roman whipping was barbaric. To have nails put in your hands and feet and die of a fixation because to, to breathe, you've got to push up on the nails in your feet and then, and then press on the nails. In your, that's awful. That's barbaric. Should not happen, but it happened to Jesus. As bad as that is, it's not as bad as Jesus becoming sin. 
Did you hear me? Verse 9, Isaiah 53, he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave, but he was the Lord's, it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good pleasure will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. That is, God will be satisfied. Because of his, the, the Savior, the Messiah's experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. Second Corinthians 5.21 For God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin offering, the, the offering for our sin, that we could be, so we could be made right with God through Christ. A message paraphrase says, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Now, I've always personalized that for me. I've always been a good boy. And, and, you know, all of us at times do wrong. We say the wrong thing. We think the wrong things. You know, there's all kinds of sins that we commit. We can commit. There's sins of commission, things we do that we know we shouldn't do. To him that knows to do good, and does not do it to him, it is sin, right? Whatever's not of faith is sin. And so they're conscious sins, but they're also sins of omission, things we should do but we don't do. Now, see, we're also guilty of those, but you know what? Jesus became all of that. And when I think about Jesus hanging on the cross, you know what I think about? I'm hanging there with him. Think about it. See yourself on that cross. Jesus became all of your rebellious ways and acts. Think about it. Every, every thought that, that you wouldn't want plastered on a screen like the one behind me for everybody to read, you don't want those there. Jesus became that. Every word that you've spoken in public or private that's wrong, Jesus became that. Everything you've done that nobody knows about but you, and you know it's wrong because it violated your conscience and you know you shouldn't be doing that, but you do it anyway. Jesus became our sin. Now, y'all, I, I, I tell you, I, I take this thing. I, uh, I, I go before God every single day and thank Him that Jesus was made to be my sin. Is that good? You know what that does? It, take, it, 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 it takes all of the guilt and the condemnation that you feel. Psychiatrists say that the, the, the biggest demotivator of human personality is guilt. If you're like me, my personality, I'm, I'm very specific with things. That's the nature of me. And see, because I am that, I'm very specific with myself. And I hold myself to a high standard, and I never make it. Did you hear me? And see, that produces a sense of guilt and wrong. And you feel guilty. If you have a sense of guilt... And you have a sense of inferiority about yourself because you know you're wrong. See, Jesus became that for you. And see, the thing that set me free from guilt as a young man is when I read these scriptures and I, I found out that Jesus hanging on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became what I am. And now if I sin, if I say something I shouldn't say, or I think something I shouldn't think, or I have a motivation that nobody knows about, and God tags me and says, son, what you doing? I say, what's wrong? See, I go back to Jesus hanging on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became my sin. Is that good?
You know what that does for you? That gives you hope. I don't care, I don't care what you're hung up on right now. You may sit here and you're involved in all kinds of things. Maybe, maybe your whole lifestyle is wrong and you know it. Maybe you're involved in, in immorality and maybe nobody knows but you. Maybe you're viewing porn on the side. Maybe you're a married person viewing porn. Maybe you're single viewing porn. That's a big problem in America today. Would you agree? That's called lust. And Jesus said lust equals adultery. It's breaking God's commands. Yes or no? Or maybe, uh, maybe you have homosexual desires, lesbian desires. Maybe it's real. Maybe you've not told anybody. Maybe you lie because you don't want anybody to know the real you, so you put a facade on, see? See, Jesus became that. Maybe you're full of fear. Maybe you can't be honest with you because you're afraid of, of who you are. Jesus became that, y'all. Let me tell you what he did for me. He gave me hope. You would never have wanted to know me without Jesus. And if I ever left Jesus, you'd, you'd not want to sit with me. Because the midst without Jesus isn't worth knowing. If you think you're worth knowing without Jesus, you're a person full of personal pride. And I've had a root of pride three miles deep in my life. But when Jesus hung on the cross and cried out, my God, my God, I've taken my pride and I've fallen right at the bottom of that cross, so to speak. And I've said, God, I need you. Because I can't trust me. There are people in the room today, you can't trust you. You're afraid of what you'd be out from under the influence of your good friends. Maybe you got some bad friends you hang out with. You hear me? Or the people at work. Y'all get off in the corner and talk about things. And you go places and nobody knows. Jesus knows. This right here, this right here will set you free. Did you hear me? What did Jesus do? When you come to Jesus, he takes the want to to sin from inside of you. Did you hear me? Many times I've gone before the throne of God and said, God, my flesh wants to sin. My mind wants to sin. I want to go with those people, but it's wrong. Lord, I want to look at that, but it's wrong. And Lord, thank you for taking the want to out of me. I lay all that at the feet of Jesus. See, the cross of Jesus is powerful. Did y'all hear me? It's powerful. <laughs> I feel inside of me, there's people in this room, you're struggling with you. You want to walk with God, but you're struggling. You got to take that struggle to Jesus Christ. You got to be honest. There's one little word that buffaloes America today, and it's the word repentance. Everybody say repentance. Repentance is I see who I am. I see how bad I am. And I don't like what I see. And I need something different. And his name is Jesus. Did you hear me? 
Repentance is saying I'm done with the way I'm living and I want to be different. And when you take that to Jesus and pour yourself at his feet and say, Jesus, I don't want to be what I've been. Change my life. And I want to obey you. Give me the want to to obey. When you give yourself away to him, there's an awakening inside. How many hear me? It's called the new birth. And if you haven't experienced the new birth, you haven't repented yet. If you still want to live the way you lived before you knew Jesus, you haven't been born again yet. Did you hear me? It hasn't started ruling you. How many hear me? Number four, lastly, Jesus was raised from the dead. And when he did, he guarantees that we too can live after death and go to heaven when we die. Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we can overcome sin now. How many hear me? Jesus' resurrection guarantees that we have authority over Satan and all of his minions that tempt us. How many hear me? Now, I feel like getting off into all kinds of side journeys, but I can't. Demon spirits are infiltrating the United States of America. Demon spirits are associated with deviant sexual behavior. Did you hear what I just said? Demon spirits are involved in lying and cheating and stealing. Did you hear me? And you go that direction. These demon spirits will will say, hey, buddies, look, there's somebody that likes us. Let's go help them out. Before you know it, you're bound. There are people in the room. These influences are on you, but you can be freed in a moment by the name of Jesus because His resurrection gives us as believers authority over demon spirits. Is that good news? That's real good news. For we died, Romans 6. I'm almost done. Everybody here? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with Him in His death, we will be also raised to life as He was. See, Jesus was the prototype. Jesus became our sin. Don't have time to talk about it. MitchHorton.com. This last week I talked in my blog about Jesus literally going where we should go to pay for our sin. Jesus went to hell. As, as Jonah was three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and nights in the heart of the earth. The Bible tells you where hell is, the heart of the earth. It's a holding place until Revelation 20 comes to pass and that great sentencing before the great white throne. That's where people go that don't know Jesus. Jesus went there. Jesus stayed there until God was satisfied that your sin debt and my sin debt was legally paid for. You don't have a chintzy salvation. You've got a salvation that costs God everything. Did you hear me? Think about it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have eternal life. Your salvation was based on absolute justice. Any court in the land, you could, take the, the, uh, you, you could take the facts of redemption and take them before a court of law, and the judge would have to say, you're adjudicated. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are, are, are cleansed. 
payment has already been made. You are now free to go. Is that good news? That's, the, that's an awesome thing. First, as I conclude, 1 Corinthians 15. What I'm saying, dear brothers and sisters, this is verse 50, that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. Some will experience what the Bible terms the catching away of the saints, or we call the rapture of the church. How many hear me? And those are people that are alive when Jesus returns, and that's what he said. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting, sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin through the death, sin and death through our Lord Jesus. So, I, I, the Holy Spirit's talking to me. That's why, you know, listen, I, I, here's what I know. I don't know who you are, but I know it's in the room. You're wrestling with yourself, you heard what I said. You heard what the Bible says. You heard what Jesus did. And you've got a choice to make. Are you going to continue living the way you live, doing what you're doing, knowing that it's wrong, knowing that the wages of sin are death? Are you going to, you know, hey, you know, can, can I be real? It's a gamble. You say, well, but I got time. Let me tell you a story. I was, uh, there was uh, two redhead, freckle-faced twin boys Glenn and Gwen, who were my friends from age three. We all, we all went to the Baptist church together when I was a kid. Glenn and Gwen grew up with me. I knew them. I was, I, uh, they were with me in church. We went to youth group together. We went to school together. And uh, we graduated from school. We went into life. We did all kinds of things. We smoked pot together. We sinned together. We cursed together. We frolicked and messed together. And then my life changed when I was 18. And uh, I worked in a grocery store, and, uh, and Glenn was, a, you know, he, he looked exactly like his brother, and he just had to be a student enough to figure out who's who. And every time he'd come to where I was working, hey, Glenn, how you doing? And I would tell him about Jesus, because he's been my friend since I was three years old. And I said, Glenn, you need to get, you know, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm not what I was. And, you know, I don't do that stuff we used to do. I don't want any. I don't even listen to the same music anymore, Glenn. And Glenn would say this. I remember hearing him say, he said, Mitch, I'm not going to hell. I have no intention of going to hell. I'm going to go to heaven. But he said, I'm just not ready yet. And his idea was, I still want to have a little bit of fun with what I'm doing. But I'm young. And here's what you think if you're young. You got your years ahead of you. Friend, your life could be snuffed out in a moment. Most of you that go to Victory Church know that I've, I've been near death six times. Two times before I knew Jesus, four times since I've met him. That comes so fast, you don't have time to think. And whatever the apparatus is in your mind, I tell you, it is amazing to me that uh, age four, it happened the first time when I was 14, the second time when I was 16. And when I got close to death, one was a car accident, the other was an overdose of drugs. And I went blind and I saw myself dead. But the moment that happened, I saw all of my life in front of me. I saw myself lying. I saw myself stealing. I saw myself taking God's name in vain. I, 
I saw the things that I had done when nobody knew. And that was me. I felt my guilt. And I felt I wasn't ready for this thing called death. And y'all, it scared me. I tell you, it scared me. It scared me. It scared me. So my friend Glenn kept coming in to see me. He said, said and then we'd talk, you know, we'd laugh and joke, talk about stuff, talk about the past, talk about school, talk about grammar school, middle school, high school, talk about fun times we had on church trips, yada, yada. And then I, you know, somehow the conversation would change and I'd tell him about the Lord. And Glenn would say, Mitch, I, I don't have any, I'm not going to hell, but I'm just not ready to make myself right with Jesus yet. Not quite ready. And I would always say, well, Glenn, don't wait. Because if you don't know Jesus, you're not promised tomorrow. And the Bible says today's the day of salvation. You know? So he was working at a, a gas station. And this was 1980. This was May 1st of June, 1980. And uh, there was a plexiglass right in front of him. And there was self-service gas. And people had to go at that time. They had to go to that self-service place to pay. And many people still paid with cash in 1980, believe it or not. And people would put their cash. Uh, and now debit cards had just come out. And they would put them under, under the little thing. And he would receive it the other side. Well, a guy came up to rob the station, pointed a gun right where you put your cash, the bullet, and shot it. The bullet ricocheted, hit him in the temple and killed him instantly. It's one of the saddest funerals that I've ever attended in my life because what haunted me, what haunted me, and I still think about it, was Glenn telling me, Mitch, I'm, I'm not going to die and go to hell. I'm going to make Jesus Lord. I'm just not ready yet. The thing that haunts me is I, nobody knows. I hope I see him in heaven, but only if he had an opportunity to repent and asked Jesus to come in. And I'm not sure he did. Y'all, it bothers me to this day. You're here. You've heard the gospel this morning. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing that nobody knows about? What are you doing with your thoughts and your words? What are you doing behind closed doors? What are you doing that is violating your conscience? The cure for that is repentance. And faith in Jesus Christ. He became your sin. He took your sin. He bore your sin. Jesus bore your guilt. Jesus went to hell where you should go. And then when God was satisfied that your sin debt was paid, Jesus was raised from the dead. Now that's amazing. Today, your life can change. You can be transformed. Today's the day of salvation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, for every person in the room, and Lord, every person that's watching online, I pray. I pray for the hand of the Lord. I pray for the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be strong on me and on all of us in the name of Jesus. I pray for any person under the sound of my voice who is not sure of their internal well-being, any person who knows what to do but is not doing it. I pray that the Holy Spirit would draw them in a supernatural way. I pray that they would not experience any kind of peace nor rest. In fact, may they be awakened in the middle of the night until they are willing to repent. And I pray that repentance happens today in the name of Jesus. Any person here that has known Jesus but absolutely walked away from Him, I pray for them and I ask you to draw them to you. Remind them of who you are. Remind them of your love and your care. 
and your desire to forgive and let bygones be bygones. You've cast our sins into the depths of the sea if we'll just accept Jesus.